Before starting, I want to give a big thank you to my Patreon subscribers. Your $3 a month makes this podcast possible and allows me to keep it ad-free. An old man stood facing a vertical rock face. With his nose not far from the rough surface, he could see the mix of red and tan grains. In his hand, a brush made from the chewed end of a stick was covered in mulberry-colored paint, darker than the rock to which he was applying it. He had completed the outline of his drawing, a long oval, and was now filling it with small dots. At the man's feet sat a bag made from woven grass. Inside, he carried his most valued possessions, including his primary hunting weapon, a boomerang carved from acacia wood. To his left, the light of day shone on an old painting of a kangaroo made by this man's ancestors. With pointed ears, long central toes on its hind feet, and thick musculature of its legs, this illustration was an imposing presence to all visitors of this shelter. Above the man, a flat ceiling of rock extended out from the wall, providing partial protection from the elements. Beyond the drip line, tall grasses, bloodwood trees, and the engorged trunks of boabs surrounded the shelter. Over the years, members of this artist's tribe had returned to this place to commemorate important moments, moments of celebration and heartache. These ceremonies often required decoration of the walls. Having finished the dots, the man was now drawing thin tendrils that radiated from one end of the long oval. Taking a step back, he examined his painting, a large yam, one of the most abundant sources of food in these woodlands. Next, he picked up a sharp stone from his bag, walked outside, and cut a bunch of tall grass. After smearing what remained of his reddish-purple paint over the stems and seed heads, he carefully pressed the grass into a section of wall underneath his yam leaving behind a lifelike imprint. The man was bringing health to his people by immortalizing these revered plants, which had been spread across the land by heroic creator beings at the start of time. This man lived 17,000 years ago in the Kimberley region of northwestern Australia. He lived in a society in which rock art depicting plants and animals in a realistic style was an important element of ritual life. Welcome to Our Prehistory, 
Episode 27, Pleistocene Rock Art of Sahul. In New Guinea, Australia, and Tasmania, human societies evolved without contact with those on other continents. This isolation, along with a mix of tropical, arid, and temperate environments, led to the development of unique lifeways. Sahulian hunting, gathering, and fishing economies were highly varied and more focused on small animals than those in other parts of the world. Also, the simplicity of their stone tools and the use of stone axes was quite different from the technology in regions affected by the Upper Paleolithic and Late Stone Age. The distinctiveness of early Sahulian cultures is not only evident in the archaeological remains of camps, but also in rock art. Australia is extraordinarily rich in prehistoric engravings and paintings, some of which were made by people living during the Pleistocene, that is more than 12,000 years ago. This vast collection has not been studied as thoroughly as that of Europe, but it rivals the cave art of France and Spain in artistic merit and exceeds it in quantity. The images inscribed into and painted on the stone walls of Sahul provide precious information about Pleistocene life on this continent, including information about ritual and technology whose material evidence degraded long ago. Today, we will explore the oldest rock art of Suhul, which evolved into a variety of artistic traditions, some strikingly different from those of Europe. Across Suhul, an astounding amount of prehistoric rock art has survived. It's estimated that in Australia, there are about 100,000 different rock art sites, a far higher density than in Europe. The images at these sites depict animals, animal tracks, plants, humans, and more cryptic symbols and patterns. Among these drawings, distinct styles are evident, likely products of different times and regional cultures. Sahulian rock art includes both paintings and engravings. Engravings in Australia are referred to as petroglyphs, which were made by a variety of methods, including pecking, scratching, and abrading the stone. Australian petroglyphs range from simple dots, circles, and lines to more complex representational art of animals and humans. They degrade more slowly than paintings, in most circumstances, so engravings are likely to be the oldest surviving art in Sahul. In Australia, most rock art is found on the walls of sandstone rock shelters and boulders, relatively exposed to the elements. Caves are uncommon in the northern half of the continent, but in the south, there are a handful of deep limestone caves that people did decorate. This marks a difference from European rock art, which was mostly produced inside caves. Last time we learned that painting stones was an ancient practice in Sahul, with a few examples dating to more than 28,000 years ago. However, those early cases of dated, painted rocks 
consist only of smudges or lines of pigment, devoid of recognizable shapes or figures. Today, we will examine the rock art that can be deciphered to examine what the earliest hunter-gatherers of Sahul chose to draw. During this investigation, we will be limited in what we can say about the age of this art. In general, the engravings and paintings of Sahul are poorly dated. In most cases, we won't be able to associate specific types of drawings with exact time periods. It's believed that most of the currently existing rock art in Sahul was made by people during the Holocene, in the past 12,000 years. Unlike in Europe, this practice continued after the end of the last Ice Age, and is still part of Aboriginal Australian culture today. But experts do have reasonable evidence that certain styles of rock art are older, and that is what we will focus on here. In a few rare cases, identifiable images have been directly dated to the Pleistocene, mostly to the end of this period between 20,000 and 12,000 years ago. These exceptional cases have shown that during that period, abstract art was common. For example, in northeastern Australia, more than 13,000 years ago, people engraved trident-like symbols and more intricate maze-like designs into the walls of several rock shelters. At the southern end of Sahul, other groups of people created hand stencils by blowing red paint over a hand held against a wall. These have been found deep within three Tasmanian caves, and are also known to be more than 13,000 years old. Hand stencils like these and handprints have also been found in New Guinea and Australia. Another case of dated Pleistocene rock art comes from southern Australia, where more than 20,000 years ago, people ran their fingers through the soft clay-like deposits on the walls of limestone caves, leaving behind winding patterns reminiscent of similar finger markings in French and Spanish caves. Sometimes called macaroni for their curved patterns, they have been found in 37 Australian caves. It's fascinating that these finger markings, along with hand stencils and repeated geometric symbols, were also part of early artistic traditions in Europe. Much like ochred burials, these simple motifs were universal prehistoric symbolic practices, stemming perhaps from an innate desire of people to register their presence. But the Pleistocene art of Sahul went far beyond those dated examples. Prehistorians believe that several distinct styles of abstract and representational art developed before 12,000 years ago. This is based on detailed studies in regions of Australia with high concentrations of rock engravings and paintings. These studies have identified similarities between images to classify them into different styles. Then, researchers search for instances in which prehistoric artists engraved or painted over top another image and they compare the amount of weathering in these works of art. 
when drawings belonging to a certain artistic style are consistently superimposed by others and appear more weathered, they can confidently be considered older than other types. Using these techniques, regional sequences of rock art styles have been reconstructed in Australia, and many of the oldest styles are thought to be more than 12,000 years old. Stylistic analysis, superimposition, and weathering were all used by the prehistorians of European rock art before direct dates were widely available. These early studies produced some accurate sequences, later confirmed by direct dating, but also some erroneous conclusions. So we should treat the Australian stylistic sequences as hypotheses, not as facts. In some cases, experts disagree about where certain motifs fall in these relative chronologies. One of the oldest styles of rock art in Australia is called the Panoramity style, found at many locations in the central deserts of the continent. The people who produced Panoramity art engraved a variety of simple shapes into rocks, often nearby water sources. These petroglyphs included concentric sets of circles, groups of dots, and intriguingly animal tracks, especially those of kangaroo and emu, the large flightless bird. More rarely, complex maze-like designs and simple drawings of lizards are part of this ancient artistic style. These shapes were precisely engraved by holding a sharp stone to a rock wall or boulder and hammering it with another object. This pecking technique was repeated over and over to remove small bits of stone at a time. Some experts theorized that panoramity symbols were used by the first colonists of Sahul to mark the new territories they entered. The amount of weathering on these carvings is the primary evidence used for their old age, though their precise date is unknown. Across the arid region, panoramity art shows remarkable similarity at sites separated by hundreds of kilometers. The concentric circles alongside animal tracks repeated at such distances are physical evidence of wide-ranging networks of early Sahulian inhabitants of the desert. Petroglyphs resembling the Panoramity style have also been found in Tasmania, in northeast and southeast Australia, and in the western deserts. As a result, this tradition was once theorized to be a continent-wide phenomenon used by the first Australians. However, these circles, mazes, and animal tracks lack sufficient similarity to prove a cultural link with those of the central deserts. Of all the styles in Australia, the panoramity is among the least sophisticated, consisting mostly of geometric shapes. The idea that this simple style is the oldest fits with a theory that was popular among experts of prehistoric art 50 years ago. This is the idea that art in hunter-gatherer societies evolved from simpler to more complex forms, an idea which was influential in the study of European rock art. Part of this progression is thought to involve a transition from abstract 
to representational images. One of the simplest forms of abstract rock art is a cup-like depression carved into a rock wall, which are often grouped together in bunches or lines. These are called cupules and are found widely across Australia and in many other parts of the world, including Europe. Where they are found, they are often assumed to be the first rock art made by Homo sapiens or even other related hominin species. However, this evolutionary theory of art is no longer popular among academics, especially with the direct dating of rock art, such as the masterpieces of Chauvet in France, which were painted during the earliest phases of the Upper Paleolithic. The possibility that remarkably complex paintings were made tens of thousands of years ago and were followed by less sophisticated artistic traditions is now considered more likely. Today, experts of Australian art don't assume that cupules, circles, and tracks were always older than depictions of humans and animals. In fact, panoramity-like symbols seem to have remained an element of Australian rock art for tens of thousands of years. Symbolic expression was not inevitably destined to consistently increase in complexity but instead was the result of population density and other social conditions. Whereas panoramity petroglyphs are primarily associated with central Australia, other regions contain drastically different Pleistocene-aged styles of rock painting and engraving. In the rest of this episode, we will examine the rock art of three regions of Australia, all in the northwest of the country, where style sequences are best understood. Each region has its own unique chronology of rock art traditions. The first of these is Arnhem Land, a rugged northern peninsula of Australia, today covered by tropical savanna, rainforest, wetlands, and mangroves. For tens of thousands of years, people painted the exposed sandstone walls of Arnhem Land, and those paintings have been classified into four styles, and ordered from oldest to youngest, based on superimpositions and the amount of weathering. The oldest phase, hypothesized to be more than 12,000 years old, is characterized by a combination of cupules, hand stencils, and interestingly, grass prints. Grass prints were produced by covering tufts of grass with paint and pressing them into or swinging them against the wall. They seem to be the product of a society in which the collection of grass was commonplace, probably for economic purposes in addition to artistic ones. By stamping the wall in this way, a person left behind a visual duplication of a physical object that they held in their own hands. This practice is representative of an element of Sahulian rock art that we did not observe in Europe, namely the printing and stenciling of physical objects, including personal possessions. Following cupules, hand stencils, and grass prints, the next artistic period in Arnhem Land was characterized by large drawings of animals. 
kangaroos, wallaroos, and emus were the most common, but smaller animals like possums, bandicoots, and echidnas were also painted. These illustrations were often life-sized and are notable for their realism. Forager societies of tropical Sahul had fostered the development of considerable skill in painting. Artists depicted animals as they saw them in nature, showing accurate body proportions, anatomical details like ears, pouches, and feet. In some cases, thin, short lines of paint, possibly applied with a brush, were used to shade the edges of the figures and provide depth to the image. In the oldest surviving paintings of Arnhemland, including animals and grass prints, we can recognize a desire to create realistic depictions of nature. Interestingly, this situation was quite similar, about 800 kilometers to the west, in another region of northwest Australia known as Kimberley, which also lies within a tropical environment. In fact, Similarities in the earliest artistic styles of these two regions suggest that cultural links existed between them during the Pleistocene, much like those in the arid zone. Like Arnhemland, Kimberley has a large concentration of rock paintings, which have been classified into a detailed chronological sequence of five styles. The oldest surviving rock art in Kimberley is characterized by skilled, naturalistic paintings of animals, with partial linear or solid infill within the outline of the figure. As in Arnhemland, these paintings were nearly life-sized, and early artists primarily drew kangaroos, with a secondary cast of other animals, including birds, lizards, fish, and possums. This early artistic period in Kimberley was quite diverse, and included hand stencils, hand prints, grass prints, and freehand paintings of animal tracks and plants. The most common plant drawings were of tubers, identified as yams. Finally, depictions of fruit and leaves make it clear that alongside animals, plants were also a major component of the imagery of tropical Australia. Interestingly, this phase of artistic production in Kimberley is one of the most accurately dated from the Pleistocene of Sahul. Since the paint was made from ochre and lacks organic ingredients, it can't be directly dated. So instead, archaeologists analyze the residue of mud wasp nests that were either found on top of or underneath the paintings. By obtaining the radiocarbon age of these nests, they determined either the minimum or the maximum age of the paintings. A study of 16 different naturalistic drawings of animals showed that they were painted between 17,000 and 13,000 years ago, placing this style toward the end of the Pleistocene, after the last glacial maximum and around the time of the Magdalenian in Europe. This leaves us with some uncertainty about which artistic traditions preceded naturalistic paintings of animals in Kimberley. Human occupation here extends back to 50,000 years ago. It's possible 
that some of the oldest painting styles in this region have not survived until today. The oldest documented art of Arnhemland and Kimberley has provided valuable insights into the Pleistocene societies of tropical Sahul. Centered on realistic depictions of the natural world, these artistic traditions share some commonalities with Upper Paleolithic European cave art, especially in their bias toward illustrations of the largest animals inhabiting their respective ecosystems, which in Australia were kangaroos and emus. It's clear from these drawings and the ubiquity of tracks that these animals were central to Sahulian culture, including as targets of hunting and perhaps as totems of the spiritual world. During the Pleistocene, the consumption of emu eggs was widespread, and hunting of kangaroo well documented, so these animals provided crucial resources to the foragers of this continent. In Europe, depictions of plants were never as common as in Kimberley, where they can be found at 25% of sites with paintings from this naturalistic phase of rock art. The popularity of those drawings and prints might reflect a higher level of dependence on plants for food or materials than in less tropical regions of the world. The repeated and faithful depictions of grass and yams might also reveal their significance within the worldview of these tropical foragers, who reinforced the social value of these foods through their paintings. Toward the end of the Pleistocene, the artistic style defined by naturalistic animals seems to have fallen out of use in both Kimberley and Arnhemland, and was replaced by a radically different set of motifs. Paintings and prints of plants and animals became less common, and a fascinating new style emerged in which humans were the primary subjects. Radiocarbon dating of wasp nests above and below these paintings at 14 sites in Kimberley showed that this new style flourished within a short time span, between 12,700 and 11,500 years ago. This is essentially the final millennium of the Pleistocene, a time when the climate of the world was changing dramatically. In northwest Australia, major rises in sea level were flooding vast expanses of coastland, and strengthened monsoons were bringing more rain and greener landscapes. These environmental shifts seem to have coincided with a major cultural change, as reflected in rock art styles. In Kimberley, the new paintings are known as the Guion style. Human figures of the Guion style were finely painted, graceful, and slim-bodied. Unlike the animals of the preceding art, these paintings were stylized and not anatomically accurate. Heads were small and featureless, torsos and legs absurdly long and thin. Extravagant long headdresses, armbands, and tassels hanging from their shoulders and waists adorned these figures. Some held objects in their hands, including weapons, tools, and fern-like leaves. 
Some Guion paintings depict people from a static frontal perspective, while others were drawn in active poses, including running and dancing. Most stood 30 to 50 centimeters tall. Precisely and skillfully painted with brushes, the Guion figures followed strict parameters, which must have been perpetuated through formal teaching of the techniques required to replicate these images. In Arnhemland, human depictions took on a similar form, again reflecting cultural connections over hundreds of kilometers. Known as dynamic figures, because most are shown with legs spread apart, they appear to be running, and in some cases doing the splits. They share some features with the Guion style, including long, thin bodies and the presence of headdresses, armbands, and weapons. Interestingly, the artists often arranged dynamic figures to form scenes. Sometimes human bodies were combined with the head of an animal, demonstrating the presence of either hybrid mythological creatures or masked shamans in Sahulian art. The dramatic shift from painting realistic animals to stylized decorated humans marks an important turning point in the prehistoric cultures of Northwest Australia. Some experts argue that dynamic figures depicted ceremonial activities given the ubiquity of headdresses and other paraphernalia. The shift from illustrations of nature to those of human rituals might reveal that concern for social interactions was increasing, perhaps due to a growth in the human population. This theory has some plausibility. Around the time that Guion paintings flourished, many people from the inundated coastlands may have been relocating to Kimberley and Arnhemland, leading to higher densities of foraging bands. Other fascinating insights into the cultures of the final Pleistocene come from depictions of technology in rock art. Some paintings show tools made from wood and plant fiber, which don't survive in the archaeological record. For example, both Guion and dynamic figures held tools, such as digging sticks and stone axes with wooden handles. Others are shown holding weapons, including boomerangs and wooden spears, some of which were armed with barbs. Boomerangs were also represented in rock art as stencils. People held these flat, curved wooden throwing sticks against stone walls and blew paint over them. Boomerang stencils are common in both Kimberley and Arnhemland, which allows for the documentation of the size and shape of some of the oldest boomerangs in the world. Interestingly, they ranged from slightly curved to sharply angled, and from symmetric to asymmetric. Some boomerang stencils are thought to be contemporaneous with the paintings of naturalistic animals in Kimberley, so this type of hunting weapon had probably been invented by around 17,000 years ago. Stencils from this period reveal another element of organic technology. Bags woven from plant fiber, with a single long strap for hanging over a shoulder. 
Even some dynamic and guillon figures wear these bags. Like boomerangs, woven bags like these remain in use by Aboriginal Australians today. The dynamic and guillon styles seem to highlight the importance of certain personal possessions. At the end of the Pleistocene, bags, boomerangs, spears, and elaborate headdresses were valued within the societies of Northwest Australia. Were these items of prestige? Exhibition of status becomes more common as hunter-gatherer societies grow more complex, which again may have been the case under the improving conditions of this period. One interesting note about the rock art of Australia is that it shows interesting connections with that of New Guinea and Tasmania. For example, in Tasmania, some geometric petroglyphs, including decorated circles, have been claimed to resemble engravings in southern Australia. Also, in western New Guinea, several caves contain stencils of boomerangs, like those of northern Australia. Both of these cases seem to reveal evidence of cultural connections that were subsequently broken by the rising sea levels at the end of the Pleistocene. Even more intriguing is the striking similarity between the Guion and dynamic figures and paintings discovered in Borneo of long, thin humans in active poses, wearing headdresses and holding weapons. This Southeast Asian style dates to more than 13,000 years ago presenting the possibility of ocean crossings and cultural exchange between Sahul and Asia toward the end of the Pleistocene. To the south of Kimberley lies Western Australia, where a sequence of rock art styles has been proposed. This region covers part of the arid zone of Australia, it's a remote territory ranging from coastal shrublands to mountainous and sandy deserts. It's crossed by sparse rivers and springs that support life. In Western Australia, engravings, usually found on boulders and exposed bedrock, are thought to be an older form of rock art than the local paintings. In fact, Aboriginal people living there today say that the petroglyphs were made by creator or ancestor beings, but associate paintings with their own human culture. Some experts believe that the oldest petroglyphs in this region resemble the panoramity style, with cupules, circles, and animal tracks, linking them to the arid zone in the center of the continent. On the other hand, the engravings of Western Australia do not share much in common with the painting styles in Kimberley and Arnhem Land. The hunter-gatherer bands of the deserts may have belonged to a distinct cultural realm than those in the more humid north. This separation is demonstrated by a unique and elaborate style of petroglyph found in Western Australia, which evolved from the circular and maze-like panoramity motifs. These engravings are called archaic faces, and are characterized by two large eyes composed of concentric circles surrounded by intricate patterns. 
A heart-shaped outline delimits many of these faces, and a short line sometimes represents the mouth. Some wear what appears to be a tall headdress. Others connect to a body. Archaic faces have been found at sites as far apart as 1,000 kilometers, stretching far into the central arid zone of the continent, demonstrating the extent of early social networks in the desert interior of Sahul. The identity of these faces remains ambiguous. Some are disembodied and enigmatic, but others are clearly human. Other styles of petroglyphs found in Western Australia depicted human bodies more clearly. Of a similar age to archaic faces, one of these types of engravings stood up to three meters tall, with intricate linear and dotted patterns decorating wide globular bodies. Another younger style consisted of small human figures with wavy arms and bodies composed of dots. During the archaic face period of rock art in Western Australia, desert artists also engraved elaborate, curvilinear, maze-like designs, and occasionally small, simple animals with stick legs. Archaic faces, large decorated human figures, and curvy mazes were all motifs belonging to the second oldest style of Western Australian rock art likely made during the Pleistocene. Following that period, hunter-gatherer societies inhabiting this arid region underwent a shift in symbolic traditions. The centrality of human depiction waned. Archaic faces were replaced by large outlines of animals, especially kangaroos, lizards, snakes, and birds. Animal tracks became popular around the same time. We have no idea when this artistic transformation took place. It has been hypothesized that these large outline animals may have been related to the naturalistic paintings of Kimberley, which we know were common after the last glacial maximum by 17,000 years ago. We also know that much of Western Australia was depopulated during the last glacial maximum due to aridification. Maybe people recolonizing the arid zone from Kimberley brought this new emphasis on animal rock art into the desert. In this episode, I have only described a small portion of Australian rock art from a limited number of locations. Much Sahulian rock art belongs to Holocene cultures, a period when artistic styles became more localized. Many Pleistocene age paintings have faded and been lost, and many more have not yet been studied in enough detail to establish stylistic sequences. As of yet, we are far from grasping the timeline of early artistic history on this continent. But from our limited vantage point, some clear and fascinating conclusions emerge. First, the artistic styles of Pleistocene Australia reveal long-distance cultural connections which would be invisible from other archaeological remains. For example, the panoramity and archaic face styles show a widespread distribution in the arid zone of Australia. A separate cultural link was revealed between Arnhemland and Kimberley, 
Secondly, over the course of tens of thousands of years, the cultures of Sahul, isolated from Eurasia, developed some rather unique artistic themes, yet shared other more universal tendencies with other continents. For example, unique to Northwest Australia was an emphasis on plants and stencils of personal possessions. On the other hand, handprints, hand stencils, cupules, and simple geometric symbols seem to be universal aspects of global rock art. Common across Sahul and other continents, they seem to have been simple ways in which people could leave behind evidence of their presence. The things people chose to depict in Sahul changed over time through the Pleistocene. At some times, animals were central. At other times, humans or abstract shapes and patterns. Drawings of humans were usually stylized, whereas some animals were painted naturalistically. Realistic and large depictions of animals are reminiscent of the Upper Paleolithic rock art of Europe. Interestingly, at the end of the Pleistocene, as climatic conditions were improving rapidly, a major shift in iconography took place in northwest Australia, with the introduction of guion and dynamic figures, while azillianization led to the decline of naturalistic cave art in parts of Europe. In addition, Australia lacks an emphasis on female imagery, such as the Venus figurines and engravings of Europe. In Australian art, the sex of human figures was sometimes indicated by female breasts or male genitalia, but often those identifying features were not included. And when the sex was made clear, men tended to outnumber women. It would not be surprising to learn that the Pleistocene cultures of Northwestern Australia had quite different perceptions of gender in society and mythology than those of Upper Paleolithic Europe. Finally, and most importantly, the decoration of boulders and rock walls was a common practice among Sahulians. A wide range of techniques were developed by nomadic foragers, and some of the oldest rock art demonstrates remarkable talent. Engraving and painting traditions stretch far back into the Pleistocene, and served a central role in the life of these hunter-gatherers whether it was a way of recording information, connecting with this spirit world, reinforcing social relationships, or aiding in the recounting of mythological stories. Rock art was as important to Sahulians as it was to their contemporaries in Europe. In our next episode we will look at the impact that the last glacial maximum had on life in Sahul. If you've enjoyed this episode, please consider becoming a patron of the show. Your support will allow me to continue bringing you Our Prehistory.